Hello, Magic is Real listeners. This is Shannon Torrance. Today, I had the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Linda Kramer. Linda was actually born a natural psychic medium, but in 2001, she had a near-death experience, which led her down a spiritual path. She's now a psychic medium and a spiritual teacher. In this interview, she shares with us the lessons that she learned on the other side and encourages us to live a life of compassion and kindness. If you enjoy this interview and want to hear more like it, you can support this project by liking, sharing, and subscribing. Thank you so much. We couldn't do this without you. Now, here's my interview with Dr. Linda Kramer. Hello. Thank you so much for listening to or watching Magic is Real. I'm Shannon Torrance, and today I have with us Dr. Linda Kramer coming to us from Australia. Linda had a near-death experience in 2001, which led her on a spiritual path. So now Linda is a psychic medium. She is a spiritual counselor. She has a PhD. I'm going to have her tell you all of her other credentials um, because there are too many to list, I think. Um, and an ordained minister, is that correct? As That's well? correct, darling. Yes. Linda, welcome to the show, first of all. How are you today? Thank you so much for having me today, Shannon. You know, the I absolutely get tingles down my spine when people just contact me and say, share my story with you. So I hope today your viewers and your listeners get some answers, get some hope out there about what my experiences are. Um, I've always been a psychic medium didn't understand it as a child because I was raised by a religious family who shut me down. They um, belittled me. You know, I was called the freak. I was called the idiot many, many times every day from my family. Um, I just shut it down a lot and I didn't really share what I was going through, even though I know I have some pretty vivid memories of what happened growing up. My life sort of changed when I was in my teens because I was now in a position where I had some dreams that were coming true. And in one particular instance, a girl was eaten by a shark off an island on our northern coast here in Queensland. I actually met her at the beach. She had the same bikini on. She was about to get into the water. I started a scene let's just go there with that I started a scene because I didn't want it to go into the water sure enough there was a shark um it was a great white which is very known to eat humans and the retaliation from the group that I was with that day no one spoke to me so I decided I had to shut it down again for a little while um how many gifts do I have I've always seen ghosts and spirits since I was a child and I've always had the knowing, um, I don't know if you know what that means, where you just know things about people. You go to a new house and you know the floor plan, you know the colour of the kitchen, you know where the toilet is, you know how old their dog is, that sort of knowing. I've always had that. Um, but in 2001, my ex-husband killed me. I have the paperwork here, which I like showing people now because I do get a lot of criticizers. You know, people do critic me and say, no, I don't believe your story. So here is my medical file with 168 pages of medical files from Concord in North Carolina, where I was in, you know, there's ECGs in there, there's medical 
notes, what happened to me. So basically 2001, when I had this event, I woke up from that with every psychic ability that there is. Um, as I just said to you off air, I'm doing a development class this afternoon on telekinesis, how to move things with our body, with our mind, I should say, because that's one of my gifts. I can see inside people and see injuries inside people. Cars talk to me. Plants talk to me. It's funny because it is, you know, it still makes me laugh even today, you know, 20 years after I died that I am so connected still to everything on the planet because even my computer mouse, it holds energy because it's made of natural fibres. You know, whatever they've put into there to make the plastic, it's still natural, which has a consciousness, which has an awareness, even though in it hasn't got a mind so it can't see, hear, think or taste like we do as humans, it still has an awareness. So... Yeah, it is interesting life that I lead, darling. It's a daily thing for me. Um, I'm still not used to it. And that's probably why it took me so long to come out of that closet of saying, yes, I am a psychic medium. But I have to keep reminding myself of what happened to myself in 2001. Because at one point of my near-death experience, I was talking to my great, 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 great grandmother. Her name was Karina. And she explained to me during the time that I was talking to her, she told me that I would work with the police for 10 years. And I laughed at her when she said that. I said, how can I work with the police? I will never pass the physical. She said, trust, you will be doing this. So I ended up being an admin officer, administration with the police for 10 years, which she told me. She said, two years after I leave there, I'll be a first aid trainer for two years. And I laughed at her and I said, how can I be due first aid? I can't, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nurse. I don't have, I'm not a pathologist or a virologist. She said, trust for it will happen. And I was a first aid trainer for two years from 2014 to 2016. And it's only when I sat there in that hindsight, in that perspective of looking back where we have that 2020 vision. And I thought, my goodness, she told me about the police. She told me about being a first aid trainer. She told me that was going to happen in that year. She told me that. She told me that. And they've all come true. So now I have to believe that further things that she's told me that will happen in my life past this date in 2021 those things will come true as well. So I have this utmost respect because I trust them so vehemently that I don't doubt them anymore. Um, whoever this woman is that stands to my left shoulder, she talks to me every day and I thoroughly believe that she was with me at birth when I was in hospital as a baby. And I also believe that she was the one with me when I was in heaven because somebody, and I know it was a female, they were tapping me on the shoulder and directing me to all the different parts of heaven when I was up there. Yeah, so I lead an interesting life. Um, after I woke up in 2001, I started studying life coaching. I did a CBT practitioner license because not so much do I want to understand the psychology of 
humans. I wanted to understand the psychology of ghosts and spirits. Why do some spirits stay? Why do, I'm sorry, why do some ghosts stay? Why do some return to where they were born? Why, why do some know that they've died? Why do some don't know that they've died? Why do we have spirits that are totally separate where they go to heaven? And how do they pop in to see us? So I went on to psychology. I've studied science. You know, I've, I'm looking into string theory, interdimensional um, distortion theories. I'm looking at thermodynamic theories because, you know, like it's like when we go to a haunted house and there's a hot spot, that's thermodynamics, which is all energy, which I know it's all energy because I've been to home for so long. Yeah. So I lead an interesting life, darling, which just ended with me getting my PhD. Um, I wrote my thesis. It was called Energetic Transmutation. I spoke about how when the physical body dies, we return to our energetic form and how we can transmute that energy into anything that we think about. So what our thoughts, we create our thoughts into reality. Um, that thesis got me in honors for my PhD. Wow, that's so interesting. Yes. Well, thank you for that that summary. That's definitely better than I would have done. But <laughs> I, so I would like to go back to, I really would love, I, I always like to start with um, as much as you're comfortable sharing, you don't have to go into the detail, but when you were a child, um, when you saw spirit and interacted with them, how did you experience that? Was it um, mostly visual? Did you have auditory sensations? And how did you make sense of it? I know that you were discouraged from exploring that, but what was your, um, what was your experience like as a child? What were you seeing and feeling? I see ghosts just like you sitting in front of me now. Okay. I see the wrinkles. I see the lines. I see the eyelashes, the hair, makeup, clothes, shoes, bags, anything else they're carrying. It's like a real person standing in front of me. A lot of times when people come to my house, like if I know somebody will come to my house and three people turn up, I've actually got to ask them, are you living or are you deceased? It is that confusing for me. Right. Sometimes they come through like a transparency, which I explain at nighttime, if you look at a window and you can see your reflection in the window at nighttime and you can see through it, mm -hmm. I can see them as a transparency sometimes, but most times they actually appear in full body apparition, which scares the heck out of me because they do like waking me up in the middle of the night where they're standing next to my bed. I do see them with injuries, sometimes extremely graphic injuries of how they died especially car accident bullet um, holes amputations etc it can be extremely traumatic um, but the first one that I really do remember was when I was about six mm -hmm. I shared a bedroom with my sister I woke up and there was a man standing over my bed and I started talking to him I said who are you and he looked at me and said, well, who are you? Then my sister woke up and she said, who are you talking to? And I said, well, I'm talking to this man. And she said, there's no one there, you freak. Go back to sleep. 
So then he looked at me and said, who's that? And I said, well, that's my sister. So then she's now awake because she's still hearing me talking to him. So I remember her running down the hallway to mum and dad's room and she yelled out, mum, she's doing it again. Hmm. So obviously I'd been doing it before that, before I was six. Um, yeah, so I, you know, at six, I remember dad coming in and having another chat with me. You can't keep doing this, Linda. You know, you're scaring your sister. You're keeping us awake. It's all in your imagination. It's a figment of your imagination. Stop telling us about it. So, of course, I shut it down for some years, you know, but um, ultimately I'm grateful that they never took it away. And I think in hindsight, you know, we all have life paths, life contracts and life lessons to learn. And I'm pretty keen to think that they did make me die so I would come back into doing it full time now yeah. in the year to 2020s you know um because it just instilled as an adult instead of a, a, a naive innocent child I've now got the critical thinking and the life experiences and skills etc to fathom what is happening rather than to a child who can be very confused with working it all out um yeah so I thoroughly believe that 2001 when I died I was 36 years old it was for a reason to pull me back and to really allow me 20 years because it's now been 20 years to the point where I can fathom the severity and the humongous you know what a term there humongous message that I want to give to other people you know we all have doubts we all have regrets we all have um, insecurities in confidence um, we all judge our lives and ultimately at the end Shannon the best thing that I can offer anybody is to just trust that everything does happen for a reason everything is out there you know we we have a path that we can stay on and it's when we go off that path that they will put us back onto that path you know and the worst thing that we can do is to judge somebody as to why they're doing something you know um let's just go there a homeless man who has a drug issue and so he steals money to afford his drugs who am I to judge what he is in his life? Because I don't know what his life lessons are. And how do I know that one of his life lessons might not be how to accept help, mm. how to be humbled, how to receive generosity from others? So we can't judge why anybody lives their life and how they love, um, live their life. All we can do is look into our own lives and say to ourselves honestly and openly, am I being the best person that I could possibly be with all the information that I've received in my lifetime? That's really beautiful. And that, that, that really, that's going to stick with me. That's one of those things you hear where you think I'm working on judgment all the time. And I, I've, doing a much better job of it, but I tend to be very critical um, and not in a mean spirited way, but I, it's, it, I just am a very analytical person. And 
I have been really working to, and I've asked, please remove judgment, please remove my, my judgment of others. Um, and I think it, that when yeah. you look at it that way, that everybody is here, their soul has chosen this path for a reason to help their soul develop. So it doesn't mean you have to engage with that person, but it helps make sense of why doesn't this person just accept help? Why are they living like this? Um, That's right. Because that may be their lesson to ultimately learn how to accept generosity from others. You know, because people say to me, oh, what are the life lessons that we have to learn while we're here? And I say things like generosity, patience, love, support, understanding, forgiveness. They say, well, how can this guy learn generosity when he's a homeless man? Because it's not that he has to be generous to somebody else. It's how to flip it over where he is now accepting generosity from others. Yeah. You know, so there's always that flip side. So patience. How do we learn patience? We'll be put into positions where we have to wait. And I'm not a patient person. I know Mm -hmm. it's one of my life lessons. Yeah, I'm very spontaneous and I like just going with the flow. So I know that, you know, to me, I've got to be patient in allowing not just things to unfold in my life, but also in the lives of others. So then I don't get um, frustrated with their delays, you know? So there's always that flip side of that coin. So it's not always about us, you know? We may have a life lesson of, let's just say, compassion, compassion. We're walking down the street, you know, we're 58 years old and we're walking down the street and you think, oh my God, I've got this life lesson of compassion. I've never been compassionate before. What am I doing compassion? And then you go home and you'll think, oh my God, there was an injured bird on the road. Why didn't I stop and help it? Mm -hmm. You know, a, a bird got hit by a car. Why didn't I go over and help that bird as it was waving its wings around? Because that's our sign of compassion where we help somebody who can't look after themselves. And then how do we know that we're not in a situation where we lose our job? Look at the times that we live in. Everyone's losing their jobs. We're struggling with our bills. Mental health's going through the roof. So what are we doing to show compassion to others going through the same thing? So even though we're sitting there and we're thinking, oh, woe is me, I'm going downhill. We can still show compassion to anybody else, even those that are still working taking their wheelie bins after the garbage man has come, pick up rubbish on the street if that person is working even though and you've lost your job because it's showing that you care about somebody else who's just trying to get through on their life as well. So there's always that flip side to our life lessons where it's not always just about us. It's the, the lesson that we might have to show it to others as well. That it, that's a really beautiful message and um, just so well articulated. I So I would love to talk about your near-death experience. Um, again, I know it's a painful memory and it's traumatic, so I don't, you know, anything you want to share, but really what was your life like in between your childhood where you shut down your gifts leading up to your near-death experience? Or what, what did your life look like and how... Uh, were you, uh, you could even sort of touch on, did you have a spiritual life? 
Um, what, what were you doing? What were you, where were you working that sort of thing? I, my dad, I'll go there with my dad. He worked for the air force. So we moved around every year to two years. I was going to a new school with dad being promoted with the air force. So I ended up going to nine different schools where I was always the new kid. You know, you walk in, there's kids already with all their friends. It was extremely hard to make friends for me. Um, I learned very early, don't say, Linda, don't tell them, Linda, what you do. Because yeah. I always just wanted to fit in. So when I finished high school, I started working with Australia Post. That's Well, I had a couple of jobs, but the big one that I had was Australia Post, the postal service, um, traveling around Australia. When I was 20, I lived up at Nambour, which is about two hours north of Brisbane. Mm -hmm. I was driving, I'd come down to Brisbane to stay the night at mum and dad's and I was driving back up to work the next morning and my back tire blew and I drove into a concrete bridge. Um, a, a utility stopped behind me and two men came over and they said, where's the passenger? There was someone else in the car with you. And I said, no, I'm traveling alone. I'm going up to Nambour to work. They said, no, we've, we've been sitting behind you for the last 10 miles and there was two people in the car. And I said, no, I'm alone. What they didn't know was just before impact, I got thrown out of the car. I got pushed by somebody who I didn't see. I didn't really think much of it. But three days later, I was at work and I got paralyzed. The pain down my spine was absolutely intense. You know, I peed my pants and I was crying. So they got an ambulance. They took me to hospital and they did x-rays. I actually had a broken neck. Wow. C2 and C3 in my neck are still not connected. Um, they sort of sit off angle to each other. I'm not a quadriplegic. I didn't have surgery. Mm -hmm. um, I was in hospital for about a week because I got up and started walking around. I, I took off all the strapping because I was in a big neck brace thing. I took all the strapping off and I got up and started walking around and the nurses said, what are you doing? I said, I'm going home. She said, but you've got a broken neck. You can't do this. You know, you, I said, no, I am fine. So even at 20, I knew the power of the words I am. I am fine. I am healthy because I made myself healthy just by saying it, which I didn't realize the magic that that created. So um, I was married at that time to my first husband. We separated. And during my time with Australia Post, I had met an American who lived in Concord in North Carolina. So <clears throat> when I left my first husband, the same week, his father passed away. <coughs> so he contacted me and said, I'm going through some grief. You're going through some grief. Would you like to come over for a holiday? Tell me who wouldn't jump at that, mm -hmm. seriously. So I ended up going over to America 14 times from Australia. Um, in Concord, North Carolina is where we lived. We got married in August 2000. So we had a, um, a year to lodge my immigration paperwork. 
it was extremely stressful for me because he did not want to do my immigration paperwork. He just wanted me to live there as an illegal, no green card, no medical insurance. He virtually just wanted a housewife, someone to just look after him, which I didn't want to do that because, you know, I just had this big career with Australia Post. I knew that I was capable of working. So we ended up fighting and on the 6th of May, 2001, I went to bed and I was struggling to breathe. You know, stress does come out in physical injuries. So I got up at about two o'clock in the morning and I went to the toilet and I went to sleep. I'll go there with what he said first, okay? When I went to sleep. He said that he woke up because he heard someone banging on the door. It wasn't me banging on the wall in the toilet because <clears throat> I don't remember doing that. And plus, I didn't have the strength to do it. So he came in and found me. He said that I was blue. Um, so he checked my pulse, no pulse, and I was not breathing. So he ran back and got the phone from two, bed, from two rooms away, came back, rang 911, and they instructed him to start CPR. The ambulance the fire department, the sheriff's office, anybody else that wanted to come, they all came. They all came. Um, they, in my medical files, because I now have 168-page medical file from the Cabarrus County Hospital. This is all my medical files from the hospital with ECGs, medical forms, in here, it states that I was not breathing, no pulse for over 14 minutes, which is clinically dead. Mm. Um, I actually think it was longer than that because he didn't find me straight away and he said that I was already blue. So they were just timing it from the time that he rang the ambulance. But I know that I'd passed out and I wasn't breathing before he actually got to me. So it could have been up to 20 minutes. Um, so. I ended up getting transport. Oh, they did CPR as well. They detected a heart, um, heartbeat, pulse, et cetera. So they took me over to the Cabarrus Hospital where I was in a coma. Um, my memories are totally different to that. <laughs> I found myself floating in the living room above a chair and I could hear him in the toilet on the phone and he was very short of breath. That's the first thing I remember. He was very short of breath, like <laughs> talking like, like this. And obviously that's when he was doing the CPR on me. Then I saw the fire department, the sheriff's office, the EMS people, ambulance people. They, were, they all came into the lounge room right in front of me. And I saw their name badges on their sleeves. I heard the whole conversation. One guy had a clipboard. He's writing down notes. Some of them were going into the toilet where I was. Um, but during that time, I wasn't scared at all. There was no fear. I didn't think anything like, oh, my God, I've got to wake up. I'm going, I've got bills to pay tomorrow. There was no fear at all about consequences of what would happen if I died because it, it didn't dawn on me that I was dead at all. I didn't know that I was dead at all. So I saw them bring me out on the, on the gurney, the trolley, and 
that was 45 minutes after they arrived because my ex-husband told me that. He said they were there in the house for about 45 minutes. So I know that process just there where I was floating was about 45 minutes. So <clears throat> they took me outside, put me into an ambulance while I'm still floating near the ceiling in the living room. <laughs> and then they all walked out and they shut the door. And that's when it got weird because the door opened again and all these little orbs came in. They're in my book, Heaven Exposed. These dark blue little orbs of energy came in and they were um, like hovering around me. No communication. There was no thoughts or telekinesis or um, telecommunication. You know, but I, I could tell that they could communicate with themselves because they didn't bump into each other. It was just like they were just checking me out. So they did that for a few minutes and then instantly they all went out the back door, the front door again. So there must have been some sort of communication between these orb things, these entities, whatever they were. And then the door shut again. So that's always puzzled me how did the door open and close because they didn't do it and the door was locked from my ex-husband when he left with me in the ambulance um then I get this tap on my shoulder which I think it's this woman who talks to me every day now and I call it the fog stage because if you close your eyes and then open them again you're in a totally different location but you can't feel that you've been transported. It's not like getting in a car where you can feel going somewhere. You just blink and you're instantly there. And I found myself in this field of flowers. In front of me, there was trees, buildings, mountain ranges, oceans. It was, it's very hard to explain it because everything was one. I could smell the mountains and I could hear the flowers because I was so connected to everything. Everything, um, when they think or have a thought process or that intention, because that's what I use that word intention, every intention is known by every, everything else. So I went into the buildings. I was talking to people. When I walked through this field of flowers, the flowers actually moved under my feet so I wouldn't squash them. So they knew what I was about to do before I did it. My intention, they knew my intention. So it was, I would have been in that field because I, I based it on the length of our conversations where someone talks to me, I talk back. I reckon that I was in this place maybe eight months to 15 months because it was so long the conversations I was having with people I remember talking to this bear a big brown grizzly bear you know claws this long and it was talking with its mouth <clears throat> English like I do and instantly as I'm talking to this bear it stands up on its hind legs and he just transformed into a man wearing pants, shirt, 
And I said, my God, how did you do that? And he said, all I did was think about it. So what we think we can create. So I was in this field. I went into all the buildings. The walls were talking to me because of the, the life of the wood and the stonework inside these buildings. It all has energy. It has a consciousness, which is an awareness. So <clears throat> that, that knowing of knowing everything about everything, I was one of everything. It's like I was the arm of a human being, being attached to it. So I do have pictures. So um, the next thing I find is that I'm in this, I get this tap on the shoulder again, and it's this woman. And I'm in back in this fog stage again where I blink, open my eyes, and I found myself in this church-type structure. And in front of me, this is what I saw. There's three beings. I won't say male or female because they didn't have a gender. But the energy was going up from the floor. And when it got to the head, it was spiraling both ways at once. And it was like dimensional. I could see into this space that was ahead and I could see the energy rotating all different ways at once. They didn't talk to me, but I knew their intention. I knew what they wanted me to do. So in front of me, I had this box, which I've got a drawing of, which is in my book, Heaven Exposed. So I had to lift off this lid of this box. And inside the box, there was no walls or flooring. It was infinite. It was infinity. Inside there were millions of these little videos in like balloons, like an orb with a little video. Each little video was an experience from my life, like a memory. So I just knew from these three beings that I had to pick out individually one ball at a time and go through the process of healing myself judging myself and forgiving myself why I did it. So let's go there. There's, there's basically two ways that we act. We act good or we act bad. You know, if you're on the Santa list, you're either on his good or naughty list, right? So let's just go there, first of all, with naughty things that we do in our lives. When we scream at someone, when we abuse, when we yell at someone or hit them physically or kill them, when we're going through this process, we become that other being. And then we feel the energy, which is the emotion of what we've caused. So one of the memories that I had was um, me pulling the tail of my grandmother's cat when I would have been about six years old. Instantly, I'm the cat and I'm feeling what it's like to have this human pulling my tail, the confusion, the frustration, the, ow, that really hurts. But it's tenfold because in the Bible, they even say what we do will be returned to us tenfold. So instantly I'm this cat feeling this massive pain. And that's when I started crying. And I thought, my God, I didn't mean to hurt that cat. Why did I hurt that cat? I didn't want to do that to the cat. 
I, now I know how it feels. I didn't want to do that to the poor cat. So once you go through that sort of working it out stage, then you think, my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't realise I was doing that. So we forgive ourselves for the actions that we cause to others. And then once we cleanse it, because it is a cleansing through that healing stage of forgiveness, that memory that I had with my pulling my grandmother's cat, that whole bubble with that memory inside it disappeared. It had been returned to the natural universal energy wave. So I look back in the this huge vastness of all these bubbles with these little TV screens, millions. You know, and I was looking outside on this box. I could see the walls of the box, but then you look inside and there's no wall. Then you look outside and there's the wall, but there's no wall inside. It's this big crevice with no walls or floor. And I thought, my God, I'm going to be here for an extremely long time because I've got to go through every single thing I did. So when we are nasty to somebody, like on the Santa list, we're not on the naughty list, every single word, you know, even if it's just an unknown stranger walking past and you trip them and you think, ha, 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 pranked you, you've got to relive that and say, why did you do that to him? You just caused him pain. But then on the flip side, let's go to the flip side. What about all the things on the good list? Imagine a time when you're being generous to someone, a simple smile, because one of the bubbles, the balloons or whatever you want to call them, all be things that I pulled out, I, I had this memory where I was skipping down the street and this total stranger is walking past me. And as he walks past me and I'm skipping away happily, he smiled back at me. Instantly, I'm this man and I am filled with that happiness because it's tenfold. And I'm like, whoa, look at this. Oh, my God, I feel so great. This memory has made me feel so great because then we have to heal it ourselves again, even though it's not a bad thing. And we say, why did you create that happiness in him? So I sit there and I judge myself. Why did you make him feel good that day? Just like with the naughty list. Why did you make them feel bad that day? Now it's why did you make him feel good? Because I wanted to. And as soon as we say, I wanted to create this energy with him that was happy, content, satisfied, supportive, whatever the words are that you want to use, that's when that memory is equalized. It becomes universal energy again. And that memory of me walking past that man disappeared. So as I'm looking into this huge area of all these bubbles, I probably would have looked at hundreds of them. And each memory, like the one with the cat, I can't tell you how long I was there with the cat memory, probably 45 minutes because I was crying, because it's so emotional feeling that pain from the cat. So, you know, you multiply 45 minutes by thousands. How long was that that I was there just looking in that box of memories? It was months and months and months. Yeah, so that's our life review. When we have to 
ascertain why we did every action that we've done in our lives. You know, how many times do people say only the good die young? Because they don't have to go through such a long process, obviously. You know, and you look at someone like Hitler, who was responsible for the death of so many millions of people. He has to pick out each one of those because he inflicted it. It was his intention. He has to pull out every single one of those Jewish memories and relive why he caused their death. So he will feel what it was like to be at Auschwitz going through the gas chambers. He will feel what it was like to be shot in the firing squad. He will feel the anguish of the people who actually had to do that and pull those, um, pull the trigger on those guns. You know, some of them may have wanted to do it, some of them may not have. But at the end of the day, you and I don't know about Hitler. We weren't around in the 1940s and 30s. But because we know the stories, we're connected to that story. We get emotional about those stories. We're now part of that box that Hitler, in his life review, he'll have to look at Linda remembering me. And then he becomes me and how I feel that ripple effect of the actions that is caused. You know, so I, I tell a story with people. I say, look, you wake up angry. You abuse your husband. You go in the kitchen, you spill coffee all over your uniform. So you have, nah, 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 yeah, you're attacking your husband. He then goes to work. So because now he's in a foul mood, he goes to work. He kicks the chair of his co-worker and they fall over and hurt themselves. So it's that ripple effect. You know, he gets up. He goes home, so now he's angry because he fell over at work. He's now swearing at his children or his wife or whoever he lives with. That person, we still have to work out why did we cause that ripple of pain all the way down that avenue. So I do try now to teach people, don't be nasty, don't hold grudges, don't belittle people, don't swear at people. Always give kindness, give love, give generosity, support, understanding and forgiveness. Because ultimately, when we get to heaven, you've got to live this again. And you will be surprised how much pain it causes because it's tenfold. So how long was I here doing my life review? Months and months and months. Then I get the tap on the shoulder. And now I'm in this space, no walls, no ceiling, no floors. I look down and there's no floor. It's all pure white. And over in the distance, there's a woman. And as she walks, she, she's walking towards me. She's getting bigger as she walks towards me. She comes up to me and she said, why are you here? And I said, where am I? She said, well, you can't stay here. You've got to go back. And I said, I don't know where I am. So how do, how do I get back when I don't know where I've been? She said, oh, my God, Linda. She said, look, I am your great, 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 great grandmother. My name's Karina. I died in 1940s. I'm sorry, the 1840s. I think she was born in 1806. I've got to work it out. Can't remember. But she was 36 when she died. And she said, my God, you don't know who I am, do you? And I said, well, no, because you're like four generations before me. And she said, oh, well, let me tell you about my life. 
So she went into great detail about her life. Everything she ever did, she told me. Months and months and months it took. You know, she was telling me how they, they cut down the trees. Oh, how to make an axe. Took about a week just to how to make an axe. How they used the axe to cut down the trees to make furniture. How they had to cut the wood and how they would sand the wood without sandpaper. Um, she described how she made her clothing, how she made the house with her husband, how she um, went down to the stream and was washing clothes. The device that she made out of wood to actually wring the clothes out when she was down at the stream. There are months and months and months. And she said, you've got to believe me, Linda, that this is all true. And I said, well, I don't know what's going on. She said, well, you'll be working with the police for 10 years. I actually did work with the police for 10 years, two weeks short. She said, two years after that, you'll become a first aid trainer. I was a first aid trainer for two years. And it's only when you look back in hindsight, you know, she told me all that in 2001, plus other things that are personal that happened in my life. And I sit here and I think she knew because there's no time and there's no space in heaven. She knew the jobs I was going to do, the work, you know, working with the police, working with first aid. So I've got to trust that everything else that she told me is going to be true as well. So whoever this woman is that taps me on the shoulder and talks to me every day, I honestly don't ask her who she is. When I ask her, what is your name? What's your name? She says, it does not matter, for we are all. We are all. We are everything. We're so interconnected, integrated into one universal energy force that at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much money you have, how many yachts in the marina you own. It all comes down to our attributes, <clears throat> you know, our life lessons, how we treat others, compassion, understanding, forgiveness, love. So when I was talking to Karina, she said, do you realise that if you go into here, you'll never be able to go back? And she was pointing past me, so I turned around, and here's a photo. She's pointing at this big tunnel. It was rotating both ways, clockwise, anti-clockwise at the same time. And it was magnetic. It was like so attractive. I was attracted to go into this tunnel. She said, Linda, if you go in there, you can never go back. And I said, well, what happens to me if I go down that tunnel? She said, you will get a new life contract. You'll be born again. And you won't finish doing your life review, which was this part of all the bubbles. She said, you've got to finish all those bubbles, whatever she called them, because was, I was up there for about five years with it, um, the whole experience. She said, if you've got to go through all your memories, because if you don't heal, you will take all that into your next existence. So what did I get from this experience, Shannon? I woke up in hospital, even though it was only a few days after I died. 
I woke up with every psychic ability that there is. The nurse came in and said, how do I feel? And I just looked at her and said, how's Motley? She said, how do you know about Motley? <clears throat> I said, you've been here all week. You've got this 14-year-old cat. He's got gray hair. He's got kidney trouble. You've taken him to the vet. It's $3,000. You don't know whether to put him down. You don't know whether to spend the money. You can't afford the money. You don't know whether to get a new kitten. You're driving me nuts because all you talk about all week is Motley. She looked at me and she said, Linda, for the past week, you've been in a coma and I haven't even been in ICU. I've been down on the second floor, but I do have a cat, Motley. He is 14 years old. The bill is $3,000 and I'm seriously considering buying another kitten. How did you know that? I can't explain it, Shannon. Yeah. It's just the knowing. Right. The knowing. That's incredible. How, when, um, so when you, when you did come back into your body, um, how, what was that like? Did you, when you made that decision, I need to go back because there's more work that I need to be doing. What did the, what did the return feel like? Um, I was talking to Karina and I said, I don't know how to go back. And she said, Linda, all you've got to do is think about it. Right. So, you know, the movie Wizard of Oz? Yes. When Dorothy very well. has to go back to her real world? Mm -hmm. What did the wizard say to her? You've had the, oh, actually, it was Glenda, the Good Witch of the North. She said, Dorothy, you've had the ability to go home the whole time. All you've got to do is think about it. Yeah. This is true, Shannon. What we think we actually do create. So as soon as I started thinking, I was on the toilet, I went to sleep, what were my pyjamas? Where was I in the house? I instantly went back to that house. So I woke up, they were pulling the tubes out of my throat, which wasn't nice. Yucky. Um, <clears throat> They put me into my own room. You know, obviously the lady that had the cat Motley, she didn't come back and see me again. <laughs> I think I scared her. But it was about two days later that um, in my room, the bed went left to right across the room and behind it was a big window. And at the end of my bed, there was a chair for visitors. And I, was, I woke up and in the chair, there was a very elderly lady, probably 80 year old lady sitting in the chair she had a man standing there about 50 years old there was a girl about three to five years old there was another person there and a dog a labrador sandy colored labrador was in my hospital room so i'm just lying there i've just woken up because i was still pretty weak obviously from being in a coma and i was just listening to them talking and this nurse walks in with her clipboard it says, how do you feel today, Linda? And I said, oh, it's all right. I'm just listening to them. So she's looking and she's looking at me, looking at the chair. She said, Linda, there's no one in the chair. And I said, yeah, there's a lady, there's a man, there's another person, there's a child, there's a dog. She said, Linda, no one is here. So I looked at this group of people and I said, hello. 
if you want her to know that you're here, can you please bang on the window? Straight away, are you ready? The whole window, you know how windows yeah. shakes when you hit it? This woman <laughs> dropped the clipboard on the bed, ran out of the room and never came back. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Never came back. So, so yeah, I came home. The trees started talking to me in the front yard. Cars started talking to me. Clothing started talking to me. Can you please fix the tear under the left sleeve? Oh, my gosh. Shoes started talking to me. Um, cars talked to me. Trees, anything, you know. The amount of furniture that has woken me up and said, can you please come and buy me today? I cost $300 and I'm at this place. So half of my furniture is stuff that's woken me up in my house and I had to go and buy it that day. <laughs> the, the best one that I like talking about, I had a dream and it's an antique table that I've got here. It's got three legs and it was built in the 1600s and it was $1,000. <laughs> yes, please. Yeah, that's a lot of money. Yeah. <clears throat> and I knew that I had to be over at the shop and it was about a 40-minute drive to this shop. And it's on a main road. There's no parking there. So I dropped my daughter at school and I went to the bank and I said, I need $1,000, please. They didn't question. They just gave me the $1,000 in an envelope. So I got over there just at 9 o'clock as this shop is opening. And I had to stop the traffic because the from the gutter of the shop, it's right into the lane of the traffic and peak hour traffic. So I... As I'm coming down the road, I did a U-turn and the man is walking out with this coffee table that I've now got, this table. So I pull up just as he's about to put it onto the curb for sale. And I said, hey, mate, just throw it in the boot. And he said, oh, no, 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 you don't understand. This is an antique. And I said, yeah, I know it's from the 1600s. It's $1,000. Here's your money. Don't worry about a receipt because I'm going to look after it. Just throw it in the back because I'm holding up traffic. <laughs> and he looked in the envelope I flipped the latch on my on the hatch of my car so the boot went up he threw it in and off I drove and I didn't even get out of the car I bet he I tells that story I bet he's still telling that story as well to this day yeah so I've now got that table um my dining room table I had to go and buy it that was at a charity shop it's pine eight-seater table and chairs. I know how much pine is in America. Um, but here at the, at the charity shop, it was $150. <laughs> Eight chairs and a big square table. So I walked in at nine o'clock when they opened and they said, what are you here for? And I said, well, I'm here for the eight-seater dining room table, please. I know it's a pine one. She said, oh, no, we don't have it. And I said, look, go out the back. Can you please check? Because I know you only just got it in yesterday. And this guy came out and he's like, how did you know? And I said, because it woke me up at 6 o'clock this morning and told me to be here at 9 and here's $150 because I know that's how much you're going to price it for. And he said, funny thing, we've just put the price on it for $150. If you drive around the back, we can organise delivery. Well, so I've got my, go. my my bed woke me up. I've got a Chesterfield. If you don't, if you know what a Chesterfield lounge suite is, um, it's a leather 
I've got a leather three-seater with two wing-back chairs. Um, I went into Harvey Norman because this chair, well, it's actually four pieces. It's got two singles, a three-seater and a ottoman that you pick up what your feet on. I, they woke me up and said, come in and pay 2200 for us. I went into Harvey Norman, our furniture shop, and I saw it because it was glowing. I was like, yeah, it was like a rainbow coming out of it. Oh, here I am. So I went over and sat on it. The salesman came over and he said, oh, I, do you like this chair? And I said, yes, how much? And he said, oh, it's nearly $6,000. It's $5,800. And I said, well, go talk to your boss because I know you're going to accept $2,200 today. So the, the manager came back and he said, the, the Ottoman's got a broken foot. It's, it's floor stock. Mm -hmm. How much do you want to give, it, give us for it? And I said, I'm only paying $2,200. I've got cash here in an envelope. He said, look, it's $4,800. The best we can do is $4,000. I said, no, please don't tell me that because I know you're going to give me this for 2200 I got it delivered home the next day. <laughs> That's a really so great skill to have. So, yes, um, you know, it's just this, not only it's the connection, it's everything is one, darling, you know. Our thoughts we create, you know. Remember that bear I told you about? Mm -hmm. He was on all fours. He stood up and instantly he was a man. I've got a broken neck. I'm not a quadriplegic because every day I say I am healthy. The other thing you don't know about me, 2016, I got hit in the head with a tree. Don't ask, please. <laughs> don't ask. Well, I'll go there. I had tree loppers <laughs> in. They were cutting down a 60-foot tree in my backyard. I was standing way, way, way over by the other fence. A rogue branch, it was about this round and it was about 20 foot long, came straight out of nowhere and hit me in the head. It was meant to be. So with blood gushing out of my head, I went up to the doctors and I had a CT scan that afternoon and they found a brain tumour. Wow. Please don't Google them. Don't Google no. brain tumours because mm -mm. I went into shock. Um, I had an MRI. I had an MRI that found it. Six months later, I had another MRI and it was still there. Thankfully, it was not growing. I came home. This was in 2016. And I said to myself, I got home with this MRI, with this big white dot in my brain. And I thought, no, I am healthy. I am not having this. So every day I said to myself, I am healthy. I am young. I am strong. I am healthy. I am young. I am strong. Six months later, I had an MRI. The doctor's got the report and he's looking at the paperwork. Looks at me, looks at the paperwork, looks at me. And he said, where did it go? Amazing. That's where did so it go? cool. Because you don't get rid of a brain tumour because they don't dissolve unless you have surgery to get it out. So... Yeah, darling, you know, I am a walking miracle. I've seen angels. I've actually seen angel wings. Um, those stories are going to be in Psychics Exposed, my next book that I'm writing now. But um, all my ghost stories, because I've got a lot of them, they're all in um, my book, 
Ghosts Exposed. So it's a trilogy, Ghosts Exposed, Heaven Exposed, Psychics Exposed. Um, yeah, it's just sharing the information, letting people know that at the end of the day, don't be concerned with what other people think of us. Only concern yourself with who you are and what you are and become the best possible you that you can ever be. That's, that's the message that I like sharing to people. Yeah. Thank you so much. That is always my ask. My last question anyway, is what do you want us to know? And um, also, and so you've told us the names of your book. I will be putting links at the bottom um, in the, it, so that people know where to find you. You also, I know, do psychic mediumship readings. Um, yes. Uh, there is, is a, I've, I've got a web store on my website, yeah. lindaray.info. Um, I do psychic readings. I've got my books on there to buy. Um, yes. Yeah. Excellent. So, and I've got my Facebook group, Dr. Linda Kramer Paranormal, where I do videos. You know, I like doing my educational and development videos. Like this afternoon, we're doing how to use telekinesis to make things move with our brain. So that one will be done this afternoon, you know, because I don't look at this as a career. This is me just advertising what I know to people getting the word out there that we can all be fantastic. You know, we are all beautiful. Every single one of us is worthy. You know, we're so equal. There's no equality. There's no diversion or diversity, I should say. We are all the same. And once we get past that physical barrier of our skin, our hair colour, the clothes we wear, our height, our weight, it doesn't matter. What matters is who we are in our hearts. What we do to others is what really counts at the end of the day. Thank you so much, Dr. Linda Kramer, for being here today and sharing your wisdom and your story with, with me and my audience. I know it was exactly what I needed to hear again today, um, having one of those days, those manifesting days. And you're just uh, reinforcing a lot of uh, what I've listened to today and absorbed today. So this is why I do the work that I do in bringing this podcast to the masses, <laughs> because uh, I think it's a really important message. And as you said to me, before I hit record, this has been a really difficult, dark time for a lot of people. And your message is very important right now to get out to the world, um, that this isn't all there is. No. Things, things are being shaken up right now but it's all part of our soul's path and journey and it's all for the betterment of i believe humankind in evolving us spiritually in many Absolutely. different ways you know i like referring back to movies shannon and one of the movies that i really do respect is evan almighty with um what's his name someone cowell or someone plays Noah where he's got to build the ark yeah and there's a scene there where his wife and the kids leave and they're sitting in a diner and God comes up to the to the lady and he says what's going on and she says oh I can't handle what's happening with my husband and God who was played by Morgan Freeman he looks at her and he says if a woman asks 
to bring your family together because that's what she asked for at the beginning of the film. If a woman asks to have the family brought together, God will put you into an opportunity where you will be brought together. It's a line out of that movie. I absolutely love it because, you know, we ask, I want someone to love me. But until you can't find the love within you, as soon as you find that love within you and it shines and sparks out of you like lightning bolts, people will get attracted to that and that's where people will fall in love with us. You know, we want people to like us even. As soon as we realise what it is that we like about ourselves, what is it that you like doing? That's when we start to get that passion growing within us and we get excited and we want to share it. And it's funny how energy works because we don't have to advertise. It's just other people on that same frequency of energy will attract to us and find us, you know, like you finding me today. Yeah, It's amazing how this magic works. You know, so the more we raise ourselves up, the more we believe and trust that this stuff is real. Yeah. Take our egos out of the equation. We don't need proof. We don't need a confirmation. That's just our egotistic opinion coming into play. But at the end of the day, if we ask for good things, all we've got to do is look around. The sun's out today. That's one good thing. There's no noise outside while we're videoing today. That's two good things. My daughter is not here today. So now I'm up to three good things and I only ask for one. Mm. So it's only when we become aware of our existence and we ask, oh my gosh, you know, I've been asking for a roof over my head, but I already do live in a house. Yeah. I have already received what I asked for. So just we put out that intention if we do want something better. But at the end of the day, do we really need it? Because if the answer is no, we probably won't receive it. But if the answer is yes, it will come. Because angels are everywhere. I have personally seen angels. Um, My stories are in my books with angels. And other people at my house have seen angel wings in my house. Four foot angel wings with no sorry the feathers were four foot long because when he was here he dropped he, he dropped feathers when he flew away and we all saw the feathers fly um on my floor angels are real they do exist and if we put out that intention of what it is that we truly want they will answer us Thank you so much for leaving us with such a beautiful message of hope. And again, for your time and energy, Linda, it's so lovely to have had you on the show and also to have met you. It's an honor is all mine too, darling. You know, thank you so much for allowing me to talk to you today.